You're going to go on a walk with me through my house real quick. Oh, <laughs> let's do it, Gigi. Give us it's a guided tour. It's such a mess. Tour. Hold on. Is that a gingham dress you're wearing? Uh, it certainly looks like one. That's so Dorothy. Gigi, Gigi, are you a friend of Dorothy? Yeah, she can't hear you. <laughs> I'm leaving my office and heading upstairs. Hey, Dorothy Gale, I love your gingham dress. <laughs> We're still in the middle of like renovating everything. I've been painting. My hair is covered in paint. Alexa, lights on. Oh, shit. My husband's up here playing a video game. And that's probably why the internet is slow for me. <laughs> but I'm closer to the hub, but I don't want to bug him. So I'm going to go into the different room. I don't know what he's playing. I almost recognize that, but the picture's too blurry, so. Now, is my internet coming in better from this area? It does seem to be, yeah. It's not freezing up. Yeah. Now we're in the master bedroom. I'm testing paint patches. Oh, that's cool. What chapter of the Book of Mormon are we doing today? It's Jacob 1. How bad is this one going to be? Uh, they're all pretty bad. I mean, only one thing interesting actually even happens in Jacob, and it's not for a few chapters. Sorry, Jones, we haven't met, but I listened to you. You're the autistic guy. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Living in Utah. You must love that. God, hell, fuck no. <laughs> I hate it here. Um, you know, but luckily I don't, I don't uh, associate with many people, so. Oh, I feel for you because my sister, she lived in St. George for a while after her husband died. And the Mormon church is great. You know, they teach women to stay at home and breed babies, but not to go to school. And if your husband dies, leaving you a widow with four children and no education and no money, they're going to just kind of let you loose and do whatever you need to do to survive and be like, we still love you. Uh-huh. Yeah. The whole uh, taking care of the widows and Thing that, yeah, the church yeah. fails. So big time I on that one. had to help with her moving from California to St. George for a period of time, and she had to live in Utah. Like she was a Mormon, kind of, but when her husband died, because he was more Mormon, more Mormon. Yeah, like, yeah. So. <laughs> She was like, I don't really need this shit anymore. Every time I had to go to Utah, though, it was like kind of a really horrifying experience for me. <laughs> well, I live not quite the opposite end of the state. I'm up just south of Salt Lake. You're in BYU territory. Yes, uh, Utah County, that's where BYU is. I can see the Y from my house. I try to stay out of Utah as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if I had an option, I would. But my wife's career is here oh, in Utah. Yeah. Now, she's not active anymore, is she? She's fully out. Her and all all three of the kids. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody gets out with their family intact. Yeah. There were some days there where I was like, oh shit, I'm going to get divorced. You know, when I told her I was done faking it, she's like, okay, that's fine. Just don't talk to me or the kids about anything, what you're thinking or what you discover or anything like that or what your thoughts are. You just need to keep it to yourself. And I was like, okay, well, this is going to suck. <laughs> and that lasted for about a year. And then all of a sudden, my wife was like, did you know that Joseph Smith married a 14-year-old? I was like, yeah, he did. And she had, on her own, decided to start looking into stuff. It's always surprising to me how little some people know. Like, I was in San Diego, California growing up, and my parents were Mormon, but they were, like, not super, super strict. Like, Southern California Mormon, a bit more relaxed. So... I had access to reading all this stuff about the things they didn't want you to read. And so I was very aware of all that. But then I'm always surprised when I talk to people that have been mourning their whole lives and how they don't know basic history. I don't even know if they care to know, but it's like that would definitely shake your faith, you know, you'd think. My mom and dad are actually from Southern Central California. They were converts. Yeah, mine too. They were 
pretty slack for the first few years and then they really buckled down. And so I was born and raised Mormon and I grew up in a fairly small little town in Arizona and Mormons weren't a huge population there. But they are now because all of my family's in Arizona and oh uh-huh. my God. Yeah, like, well, all the fundy crazies. This is what happens when they breed. It's like all of my cousins, <laughs> there's like a shit ton of them. Are they in Thatcher or Snowflake or? No, they're actually, I think in- Mesa? Chandler? Mesa, I think. Mesa, yeah. That's where the first Arizona Mormon temple was built. We used to go down there all the time for temple trips and baptisms for the dead and bullshit like that. It's so bizarre. I was reading somewhere the other day, somebody was helping a kid write his college entrance essays and things like that. And the kid was writing about like what kind of volunteer work you'd done and kid wrote down like baptism for the dead. That's not volunteer. (laughs) So giving. (laughs) And the professor had to explain to them that colleges, believe it or not, don't really count work for dead people. Kids, their brains are like, but we're taught that this is like the most important thing to do. And you're telling me that has no value in the greater community. And it's like, yeah, get out of your bubble. Yeah. No value. Yeah. Waste well, of time. You were talking about like people not knowing the history and stuff. I did not fully leave the church until I was 41, 42. Oh, I'm so sorry. My condolences. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Thank you. Yeah. But like up until that point, I was an atheist from childhood. I didn't believe any of this shit, but it was life. No, no, it was sex. Because here's the thing. Sex <laughs> either gets you into the church or gets you out of the church. But here's the thing. I already got out of the church and got sex. Yeah, so, but then you met your wife and she was Mormon. You're like, oop, I better stop smoking and drinking. Yeah. Yes, exactly. My husband was an atheist from the beginning. I met him in high school and he got me out so quick. It either pushes you out because you are finding that relationship outside of the cult or it pushes you in because you're finding a relationship Mm -hmm. within the cult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sex is a huge driver for religion. It's unbelievable. Which is interesting because my eldest... The entire messaging that she's been giving her entire life growing up is that sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. And also, your only point in this church is to have sex and pump out babies. Oh, isn't that a conflict? Because they want to control when and how the children are created and how the families are formed so that we can have these continuous source of tithe pairs. Control the baby makers. Yeah, exactly. Like me and my kids are all fairly neurotypical. You know, me and one of my sons autistic and my other two children, they're somewhere on the spectrum. And just the amount of anxiety that just being Mormon caused all of us was incredible. It was actually, you know, one of the things that my wife had been putting on the shelf for years and years. She's like, we have to go here to be happy. We have to go be happy. And none of her family was happy going to church. We were all just fucking miserable. Finally, when COVID hit and they stopped in person church. Wasn't that a blessing? Oh, I'm dying to know like how many people left during COVID. Like it must've been a lot. Yeah. They're not going to tell you. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, I saw a quote from some general authority or spokesman said that only two-tenths of one percent oh, of people are resigning yeah. from the church. So we're doing good. Well, you make it such a pain in the ass to resign from the church. Resigning doesn't mean they're going. Though. Right. I mean, patients, do you know the whole process to actually getting your name removed? From- I do. I- They've made it more difficult, I think, because when I resigned in 2006, this was during the yeah. uh, Proposition 8 bullshit, when they would have nice 
nights where all the people would go to the church and they would do a phone bank. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that they were doing this type of bullshit from a church, that's so against the rules of like the tax exempt status of a church. They can't be doing politics. Yeah, it pissed me off too. But all I had to do back then was write a letter, strongly worded, insisting that they remove me. You're a lucky hey. I didn't have to do any notarization or anything. I didn't have to go to a website or anything like that. Right. But I think it got so popular that so many people were resigning that they started putting roadblocks. Part of it is like due to the Quit Mormon website. It made it so easy for people. They didn't like that. Exactly. When I resigned, I had to go through Quit Mormon, but I still had to go write a letter, get it notarized, scan wow. it in and send it to Quit Mormon. Because other than that, if they did not have that notarized letter, they were going to let me out. Now, to be fair, if the leadership roulette has worked out in your favor and your bishop, you have a good relationship with your bishop and your bishop doesn't take his promise to guide Israel or whatever bullshit, you can actually just go in and say, hey, I want to leave. And he can just go click and that's fine. But because every single bishop is different, when my wife and my kids left, they went through the whole thing. Like, Did they send the bishop to your house? No. Luckily, the bishop that was over my family knows we really don't like him because he he (laughs) made the mistake of uh, being very anti-LGBTQ. And my daughter was like, fuck this shit. Uh (laughs) And told him so. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. First, we emailed them to the records department and nothing. Like, you know, it's supposed to work. But two weeks, we didn't hear anything. So we sent them via certified mail to the actual headquarters. And like three days later, we got a return saying, okay, you're out. I know. I had mine framed on like my refrigerator for years. (laughs) It disintegrated. (laughs) I was so proud of it because they sent the bishop to my house. Oh, did they? Oh, no. What did you say to the bishop? It was so funny because I had moved to a different town. I had not been active in so long. And like my husband was in medical school. So we had moved to where he was going to medical school. And I didn't have a relationship with any of this local church. I had never gone. I had not been Mormon for years. But they made you take the letter into the local ward. So I walked into the local ward and I found the bishop's office and I basically threw it at whoever was there. Because I was like, I need to give this letter to the bishop. And they didn't recognize me. I didn't know anybody there. I was just like some lady walking off the street in like jeans on a Sunday. <laughs> Like you don't wear pants oh, your no. pants in a no. Mormon church. Like you just don't no. if you're a woman. So wow. they knew I didn't fit immediately and they took my letter. And like two days later, the bishop shows up on my front porch in the morning. I'm in a freaking negligee. Like I'm wearing <laughs> a robe over it. Did he avert his eyes? I was like, who are you on my fucking porch on a random day? Like, dude, you were not invited. Uh. And he like introduces himself. He was kind of defensive because my letter was so, strongly written at one point and I think I told you this patience I said something to the effect of I cannot stand to live in my own body knowing that it had once been forcefully dipped into the baptismal font of bigotry. Yeah. Oh, that's nice line. That's a good one. Wonderful wording. I love it. Yeah, I talked about how they had never renounced their position on blacks in the ministry. They'd uh-huh. never renounced their position on polygamy. If polygamy became legal in the United States, uh-huh. like what would they do if it became legal? Because the only thing preventing polygamy is what? The legal ramifications of it. Yes. Utah was not going to be allowed to become a state if they didn't make it illegal. Yeah. And once they made it illegal, then they were allowed to become a state. Now, are you talking about the first time that they proclaimed it was not to be done or the second time they proclaimed first it was time. not to be done? Yeah. There were two times? Uh-huh. There were two official declarations. Tell me all about it. Come on. 
You know what? This is one of the things I don't know a lot of specifics about. They never said God said polygamy is wrong. Okay. It was, we must follow the laws of the nation. Mm-hmm. Well, if the nation allows polygamy, then what? What's going to happen in Utah? Well, I mean, to be fair, there are some countries or some tribes and people in Africa that do polygamy. The legal ramifications, though, of this to me is so beautiful because Mm -hmm. if that's the only basis for not allowing polygamy is that it's illegal, well, then fuck, let's make it legal. (laughs) I would totally be fine with that. I don't have a problem. Marry whoever you want. You want to marry five people? Marry five people. But you know what? Now the Mormons are going to have to have talks with their wives. (laughs) Uh If it became legal, then everybody in the relationship would have legal rights too. It wouldn't be able to be hidden away. It wouldn't be a secret, which means that the power structure would hopefully be equal, under the law at least. This is so funny. There's a lot of polygamists out there that Mm. are hiding. They don't do it very well. I see them all the time. Right, right, right. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? But I do know that there have been some case law that has gone up for people trying to have polygamy recognized legally. And if it succeeds, because again, what rules do we have in society that should say polygamy shouldn't be allowed necessarily, you know? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, if it's done between consenting adults who are equally empowered, fine, whatever, I don't give a shit. Yeah, and as long as they don't get some fancy tax breaks that I'm not getting, yeah, don't have a problem. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> the more wives you get, the bigger a tax break you get. Yeah, then I'm going to have like 50 different wives in this house like in no time. <laughs> I could use the help cleaning and painting. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Just get all your friends around. Um, like, okay, we're going to get married. It's going to be better for our income. Right. And you could turn into an accountant instead of a lawyer. Oh, there you go. Somebody tell me, though, this chapter that we're reading, how bad is it? Luckily, it's a short one. It's only 19 verses long, but it is more of the, I'm not really saying anything and there's no real sustenance in this. Okay. Now, which version are you guys using? Because, you know, it's been changed. Well, I'm going to be using the 1830s original version. And I'm assuming you guys will be using a more modern version. I have the one directly off the church's website. I think there may be a set of scriptures packed away somewhere, but I ain't going to go looking for it. I couldn't find mine either, Jones. Like, I really looked for it. I know I've got it somewhere. (laughs) Well, if you've been out since 2006. I've got a version of it, but it's the church's current version. So if there's anything different compared to yours, I'm very curious to know. Because like Jones said, like in one of the last podcasts, this has been changed. And not just once. It's been repeatedly changed and reformatted. If this was supposed to be a perfect, perfect book, then there would be no changes. Yeah, I know, right? Like, the church's line is, all the changes have been just, like, grammatical and, you know, punctuation. And then, like, I think it was the first episode I did was showing Joseph's monotheistic viewpoint. Yes, because that altered over time between the Trinity and, yeah. As an atheist, all of this is, like, total bullshit rigmarole. Yeah, exactly. You know, this crazy (laughs) argument that you have to create in order to get around the problems of a godhead. Whatever you need to tell yourself, like, it doesn't matter to me because I'm not buying any of it. Yeah, you got to bend over backwards to make this shit work. Yeah. That's right. You got to get bent over the kitchen table, Joe. <laughs> so that's not something you always want to have happen. There's got to be consent you know, involved. I am in my mid-40s. I don't know I could do that anymore. <laughs> oh, man. I'm just glad that when I get bent over the kitchen table, I don't have to wear ugly underwear. There you go. You want it to be arousing, right? <laughs> one of the number one reasons why I stopped being Mormon was the underwear. That was like a deal breaker the minute I saw it. As a teenager, one look. And I was like, 
Hell no. Hell not ever. Right? Thank God I have never had to put that shit on. <laughs> it's not comfortable. It's not sexy. It's not recommended. Ugh. It can't be hygienic either to have that much heat trapped in there. Actually, the church is finally looking Ooh. into changing the materials that they use. Because women keep getting UTIs and yeast infections all the time. They're wow. horrible. You hear about it all the time, mm-hmm. especially in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah. How they continue to have so many babies in such unsexy clothes with all those UTIs and yeast infections is beyond me. Well, I mean, if your literal only outlet as a man <sighs> is... That's right. You can't drink. You can't smoke. You can't do drugs. You can't watch porn. You can't masturbate. Mm-hmm. Oh, you'll have sex with a woman dressed in any kind of rag doll clothes. <laughs> You're like, I'll just turn the lights <laughs> off and we'll go. You're like, ugly underwear? <laughs> That's fine. I don't care. Maybe even just a rag doll. Oh, oh my. Yeah. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> I, it's, but, and the funny thing is, when you are no longer in it, everything about the cults is so bizarre. I cannot fathom how people believe it. I just can't understand how people don't at some point pick this apart. So welcome everybody. This is Patience once again, bringing you the book of boredom, where we try to read the Book of Mormon without getting too bored. I'm not sure if that's possible. We also try to figure out what it means as we read it because it is very confusing and in some ways not very confusing because the author was not very creative. But we try to make sense of it. I don't think there's really anything there that we can make sense of it with, but we try. We're very trying. If you've been following along, we are starting a new book today. It'll be Jacob chapter one. And if you have been following what's happening with Patreon, since Paul left, I paused the payments on that and it's still paused for March. But starting up again in April, that will reactivate and I will have bonus episodes every week for you. Follow us on Facebook. There's a page, Book of Boredom Podcast, and the actual group, Book of Boredom. Get on there, give us a nice review, say something beautiful, tell us about yourself, tell us how you've been impacted by these words that we read, tell us your guttural response to the Book of Mormon and just how much you want to vomit on it, anything like that. And if you do leave a review, hop onto our group and let us know, otherwise I don't know to go looking for it. And I can, you know, give you a shout out. All right. That's about all I had to say about that. Back to you guys. Are you both looking forward to the roast of... Brad Wilcox. Brad. Oh, Brad. Oh, Brad. Oh, poor Brad Wilcox. Oh, he's got a face that you want to punch. Doesn't he just... His smile is the most artificial. He looks like your small child after they've been caught doing something. He tries so hard with his little jovial... Oh, he so wants to be liked, doesn't he? So badly. Oh. Did either of you ever see his video where he compared the stone in the hat to an iPhone? Yeah, yeah. Or wasn't he going to put his face into the hat and he realized like that was going to look really stupid? So he's like, you've got an iPhone. That's like a magical thing that gives you information. How is a stone any different? Uh, Very much different. (laughs) Wrong tablet. (laughs) 
there's a video of Russell M. Nelson doing the same thing, like holding the hat and they're going, oh, this is dumb. Because, of course, you know, for the vast majority of the last century, any talk about seer stones was considered evil anti-Mormon lies. I mean, you got to feel bad for Wilcox. I mean, he's just trying to peddle the party line. He's got that stupid, jovial attitude that's supposed to win over everybody and very ineffective when it comes up against hard facts of what the church has believed, has taught, has done, all of it. When you pull it out of the bubble, the environment in which it's delivered. Which is why that fireside was so widely panned. I know. Everyone that saw it from the outside was like, what the fuck? Did he say <laughs> that on purpose? Yeah. But when you're in it, your brain just goes into places to justify what he said as being true. I don't even think it causes cognitive dissonance or any problem in their brains, but an outsider watching it, completely their brain is blown. And that's why I think they've completely stopped doing any more Zoom. They're not allowing people to videotape the firesides and the talks. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Well, actually, uh, Nelson and his wife just did one for Southern California. Did they put it up? Like, were people able to watch it or did you have to like... I don't know. Like, I'm sure there was a link. I haven't seen like any videos of it posted I to the ex-Mormon Reddit or anything like that. But basically, I think the reason for that is because they played it so safe. Like, they didn't say anything. I'm sure. Because they must realize that anything that they do that gets put onto YouTube is going to get picked apart. Right. Like Wendy Nelson and her exclamation question mark bullshit thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody going, wow, that sounds really culty. And the Mormons are like, no, that makes sense. What's this exclamation point? Oh, you haven't heard that one? Tell her about Wendy. The prophet's like, what, third wife? Because the other ones all died. Second. Second. Really? Okay. Which means that he is going to be a polygamist in heaven. Because the one wife's already it. waiting for him there. Oh, she's so waiting. She's probably found herself a woman. Another interesting thing about Wendy Nelson is that she never married before, never had kids, had a career, which are the three things that you're not supposed to do as a Mormon woman. Not acceptable things. How yeah. did that happen? She was a lot younger and he was a widow and he needed some new wife. Oh, how much younger? Not that much. Okay, she is well <laughs> into her 70th decade, but you know, he's in his 90s. He looks like the devil incarnate. No, he looks like Palpatine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so his wife has got like an issue with the exclamation points and punctuation. Here's the thing. She was giving her little speech at a fireside or conference. And she said, take everything said by a prophet and place an exclamation point after it. And everything said by anybody else, put a question mark after it. Almost immediately, people started putting up quotes from Brigham Young saying that if you marry a black person, you need to be killed immediately. And then they put an exclamation point. <laughs> They're like, okay, Wendy, you asked for it. Right. So if you really want to take everything that the prophet says is 100% truth and put an exclamation point behind it, you better make sure that you know what the prophets have said. Be really up to date on the history. And I think she's actually advocating for like, do not question the prophet. Oh, Jesus. Right. I saw this video recently contrasting general authorities have said, the prophets do not tell you that you have to follow them. They want you to think for yourself. <laughs> and then immediately followed by the children's hymn that literally says, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. He knows the way. The prophet is almost more important than Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's wacky, isn't it? Hell, especially under Russell's tenure, it's like everybody's kissing his ass and Jesus doesn't even get mentioned anymore. It's almost like a personality cult in a way now. Does he have any personality though? Uh, yeah, creepy old dude. Cool. Ah. 
So this Russell guy, that's Russell Nelson, is it? Like, just Google his face. Make sure you haven't eaten mm. anything lately. Images.google.com. First one that pops up, he looks like a freaking... Seriously, patience, Google it. Just look at the first picture. His eyes, his face. He's like Dorian Gray. Oh, yeah, the, or, what, the, the, painting the painting of Dorian Gray. The painting yes, of Dorian exactly, Gray. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what like the his teeth fuck? Are... His wife looks yeah, crazy. You know what? In this picture, he looks more like Burns. Yeah, he looks like Burns from Simpsons. Do you reckon he's had Botox? I think they both had plastic surgery, and you can tell by the tilt of Wendy's eyebrows. That's very catty of me to notice, but somebody else pointed it out. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I've had plastic surgery. <laughs> I'm thinking about it myself, but you got to keep in mind, once they start pulling up on this area of your head, like you will start to get this maniacal type of eyebrow if they pull your face in the wrong direction. I know. It was a bit to get used to for a while. Okay, here's another thing about the Mormon church. Getting tattoos, bad. Getting multiple piercings, bad. Guy piercings, bad. Plastic surgery? Hey, that's great. That's wonderful. Breast implants? I haven't had those. They put a lot of stock on the way people look. There's a very, very typical Mormon look. I've noticed that all Mormons look the same. Gigi's an exception. I got out. You are too, actually, Jones. Yeah, I got <laughs> tattoos. And during my time out of the church, I did have two piercings in this year. But my wife convinced me that maybe I'm a little too old to get my ears re-pierced. Oh, tell her to go climb a tree. You do you, Jones. She'll like it. No, I think she's right. Tell her she'll like it. <laughs> I think she's right, actually. <laughs> I am kind of glad I never got some badly advised tattoos when I was younger, which I would have gotten maybe if I hadn't, you know, at the time been Mormon. And looking back, I'm like, ooh, I'm glad I didn't get that tramp stamp. Mm, yeah, well, that didn't age very well. That didn't age. Yeah. <laughs> but so, yes, to answer your question, Patience, I'm very much looking forward to uh, roasting Brad Wilcox. Yes. Because he's definitely put himself into a position where it's kind of hard not to make fun of him. Yeah. And there's plenty of material to roast on. So that episode, for all you listening, will be coming out on the 20th of March. That's only two weeks away. I'm really looking forward to it. All righty. Do we want to delve into this book of Jacob? Do you want to start, JJ? Right. So the book of Jacob, the brother of Nephi, the words of his preaching unto his brethren, he confoundeth a man who seeketh to overthrow the doctrine of Christ. A few words concerning the history of the people of Nephi. So chapter one, and then they give us another little blurb. Jacob and Joseph seek to persuade men to believe in Christ and keep his commandments. Nephi dies. Oh, do you promise? Wickedness prevails among the Nephites <laughs> about 544 to 421 uh. BC. Now, where they got those dates, somebody pulled that out of their ass. Yeah, it's exactly where they got them from. So accurate, Gigi. I know. How dare you say that? Where they get their archaeological information, I do not know. First one. For behold, it came to pass that 50 and 5 years had passed away from the time that Lehi left Jerusalem. Wherefore, Nephi gave me, Jacob, a commandment concerning the small plates upon which these things are engraven. I highly doubt they even existed. Can I just stop you there for a tick? He says... 50 and 5 years. He couldn't just say 55. It has to be 50 and 5 just because he wants to sound... He wants to sound biblical. Prophetical. Well, (laughs) that phrase, 50 and 5 years, is said the exact same way in 2 Chronicles 33 verse 1. Really? Yep. Okay, I'm looking that up now. So what was that Chronicles package? Um, 
Oh, shit, fuck, ding dong. Okay, yeah, Second Chronicles 33, verse 1. The shit, fuck, ding dong is a series of words I don't think I've ever had put together in my ear in that order. <laughs> shit, fuck, oh, ding dong. Oh, you'll hear plenty more. I appreciate those three things put together just like that. Okay, so the NIV says 55. Let's have a look at the King Jimmy. 50 and five years in Jerusalem. You're right. Well, he's being very true to the Bible. Kind of want to go into verse two here. Go for it. Take it away. And he gave me, Jacob, a commandment that I should write upon on these plates, a few of the things which I considered to be the most precious, that I should not touch, save it were lightly concerning the history of this people, which are called the people of Nephi. So he wastes space telling us how. Yes, he's going to be putting onto these plates, which I'm sorry, gold plates, those are very heavy, very, very hard, difficult. I'm very surprised he didn't use some other kind of plates. Like where did he go to the plate store to buy them or did he make them? Was that covered in any of the prior chapters of where he got them? Wait, no, it's not like there's an office supply store that has blank sheets of gold. <laughs> apologists say all sorts of things, but like apologists say that they were written down on scrolls and then they were engraved on the plates later to preserve them. But then of course that ignores the fact he says he's doing it on plates right here. It, it, you know. Please read verse three because actually he's talking about other plates now. Uh, for he said that the history of his people should be engraven upon his other plates and that I should preserve these plates and hand them down unto my seed from generation to generation. So apparently his seed needs their own set of plates. Mm-hmm. Well, because... His plates are the spiritual stuff, and the other plates, which are kept with the kings, are the historical documents, um, most of which were compiled into the first 116 pages of the Book of Mormon, which were subsequently lost. And so then God told Joseph (laughs) that, well, I did that on purpose. It was my designs. I knew somebody would steal it. So I made all these poor sons of bitches waste all their time engraving this shit just because you're a dumbass and let somebody lose the pages. Because <laughs> didn't somebody steal? Martin Harris. Because he said, if you really did translate these from engraved plates, then you would be able to recreate the translation just by going back to the plates and rewriting it. Isn't that what happened? Well, partially. You might be recalling it wrong. Yeah, Martin Harris was Joseph Smith's first scribes <laughs> other than Emma. So Joseph had his head in a hat, spilling stuff off, and Martin Harris was writing it down. Reading from the iPod in the hat. Exactly. And he was also subsidizing Joseph. And Martin Harris's wife was not pleased with this because she had her sneaking suspicions that this Joe guy was a complete con artist which he was, a convicted con artist. So she kept saying, I want to see what you guys are working on. I want to see what you guys are working on. Meddlesome women. (laughs) Meddlesome. What are the boys doing in the shed, I wonder? (laughs) (laughs) So Martin then went to Joseph and said, hey, my wife wants to see these pages. And Joseph said, let me ask God. And he asked God and then he came back. He said, nope, God said no. And so Martin went away dejected. And then he came back. And I can't remember if he asked two times or three times, but finally Joseph got the answer. Yes. Fine. And he took them and they disappeared. Probably because his wife went, okay, now let's see him recreate this bullshit. If I'm sticking my head into a hat to translate through magical means a document that was engraved on plates, that's like an affixed engraving, right? The engraving doesn't change. So would my translation change? No. I mean, I would just go back to the original document and retranslate it and it would basically be word for word. Right. Well, and then Joseph said, well, God's mad at me. He took the plates away. We can't translate anymore. Blah, blah. And then finally, God forgave 
him for being a bonehead and letting Martin take the plates. And so he gave him the plates back, but he said, okay, well, it has been my design that the first portion of the golden plates basically are the same as the second portion. Like there's the large plates of Nephi and the small plates. So I don't want you to retranslate this old stuff. I want you to just go on from this point. Oh, In other words, guys were like, don't worry about the shit that you lost. Let's just move on. <laughs> we're just going to move on <laughs> exactly. from here because obviously that would be way too much to redo all that work that we lost. Right. And never mind all these poor ancient prophets. <laughs> That's right. The Jacob commemorative plates weren't important. Right. It was just the history and stuff. We don't need that. <laughs> we're going to go on to the plain and precious spiritual parts. Oh, God. <laughs> Take it away, Jones. All right. And if there were preaching which was sacred, or revelation which was great, or prophesying, that I should engraven the heads of them upon these plates, and touch upon them as much as it were possible, for Christ's sake, and for the sake of our people. What? That I should engraven the heads of them upon these plates. Is he saying, like, give you an overview of these prophecies? Is that what he means by that? Yeah. The short version, which he never does. I just listened to a uh, podcast here a couple of weeks ago by a gentleman who goes by Radio Free Mormon. And he was talking about this particular phrase, engrave the heads of them or writing down the heads is actually a phrase that was used by pastors as a methodology of how they would outline their sermons before Ooh. they would give them. Point form. Yeah. So basically, it's very possible that he wrote the heads down or wrote a little outline, put it in the hat put the rock in the hat and then put his head in the hat and that's how he came up with it. Yeah, that's possible. It was it was an interesting episode. He put it in the lining of his hat each day before he went to the shed with What's-His-Face and played his little boy games together. <laughs> well, no, the shed is actually where he kept the place, either in the shed or out in the woods so they wouldn't get stolen. He didn't keep him at all. Nah, shh. Yep, exactly. All right, verse five. For because of faith and great anxiety, it truly has been made manifest unto us concerning our people what things should happen unto them. Right, truly manifest. Ah, the anxiety. Yep. Verse six. And we also had many revelations and the spirit of much prophecy. Wherefore, we knew of Christ and his kingdom, which should come. Right, cool. I mean, I guess he's like, <laughs> look, these are the plates. This is where we're going to put all of the prophecies, all of the anxieties of our people. He hasn't really said anything new yet, and yet he's filling up these really hard-to-reproduce gold plates with this information that's useless. Patience, that is a very good point. Yeah, obviously it doesn't make sense. Yeah, totally. And he tells us about how he's going to go point form you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't prepare us for how you're going to go. We would just do it. <laughs> yeah. If you're Shakespeare and you've got a lot of words inside of you, it's a good thing that you were born in a time when it was cheap to get parchment, okay? <laughs> because then you could keep writing all you want. But if all you've got is like a chisel and a hammer and a plate of gold, maybe I'd be writing down the birth and death dates of my progeny and that's it. Like, and a few good words for the rest of people, but... You know what though? I don't think Shakespeare was even this verbose. At least he had something to say. <laughs> you can read a Shakespeare play quite Quite quickly, they're not actually that long. The main reason that it's difficult for us to read Shakespeare is because it's old English. Yeah. But even that makes more sense than this. Yeah, oh because yeah. Because this is not even a language. 
This is not old English. This is Joseph Smith trying to sound biblical in the 18th century while he makes up a story. I used to love reading Shakespeare plays while I was taking calls at work in the call center, in between calls to keep me not bored. All right. My turn. Verse 7. Oh, by the way, I'm reading the original, which seems to be pretty similar so far. So tell me if yours is different in any way. Wherefore, we labor diligently among our people that we might persuade them to come unto Christ and partake of the goodness of God, that they might enter into his rest. So we're partaking of the goodness and we're entering into his rest. What rest? Why do I want to rest? I want to enjoy my life. I don't want to do nothing. Actually, sorry, if you're a Mormon woman, you're not going to be resting. You're going to be laying on your back, pumping out celestial babies. (laughs) That's what you're going to be doing. For eternity, you are making babies. And cleaning out the church on Saturday when they put you to work for free. Right, oh yeah. All Uh... that money that they're getting from tithing is not enough for them to hire somebody to clean the buildings. No, lady. Once you're done, like, breastfeeding all those children, come and vacuum the ward building. It's just so shit for the ladies, isn't it? I wonder if in the celestial kingdom, they'll give them a celestial birthing pool that they can, instead of just laying on their back 24-7, they can go buoyant. By then, they'll have sister wives that will help them. Right, yeah. But the sister wives are going to be having babies too, so I mean. Uh, Yeah, I don't know how that works. (laughs) A pyramid scheme of sister wives, I guess. Well, you just get them younger and younger and just bring in more Uh, and more. Yeah. Creepy. How does Mormonism deal with why do we need to keep having more people? Why does that need to happen during eternity? Why is that even something we want? Why do it? Well, during eternity, you're going to be populating your own planets. But why? Why do that? You need a lot of souls to make a lot of planets. I mean, you know, how many people have lived on Earth on all time? But why make planets? Why is that a good thing? Oh, this is a good question. The way it was told to me was, think about it. You have all of eternity, all of space with nothing to do. And because you were born in God's image and God so loved his children as a child is loved by their father, that wouldn't you want your child to be able to become everything that you are? So if I was God and I have all these children, like I want them to grow up to be gods too, and I will give them their own planets. And for eternity and for all of space and time, these humans keep breeding more planets of people because space is infinite. Time is infinite. You got nothing else to do but get more wives. But if we're really made in God's image, wouldn't we have like free choice to learn to do other things? People are going to get bored of that, right? I mean, none of this makes sense. Ah, it's so dumb. That's the problem. You look at Mormonism with logic and you're like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, because if I die, I'm not going to have a body. Therefore, I'm not going to have a gender. Yeah, exactly. Therefore, I'm not going to have a sex. Oh, but they believe that you're going to reincarnate it, I think. Is- yeah, you're reformed. Unless you were cremated, that gives God a bit of a challenge during the second coming. Mm-hmm. My father does not want to be cremated because apparently that'll make it difficult for God to put him together. But he's okay with being buried at sea. What the fuck do you think is going to happen? God is already bringing you back to life. (laughs) If God is going that far to bring you back to life, I don't think he's going to have a hard time being omniscient and omnipotent and omni-everything that he couldn't also reform you. Like, couldn't he? (laughs) Yeah, God's like, oh, hell, we're missing an edge piece here. Well, fuck it. He's like, we can't can't do it. it. It's done. Sorry, you're fucked. Go to the nether regions of hell. Anyways, yeah, logic. That they might enter into his rest, lest by any means he should swear 
in his wrath that they should not enter in, as in the provocation in the days of temptation, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Yeah, he's always got to kind of bring back the biblical story and to give it some legitimacy. Oh, right. Verse 8, wherefore, he loves to start sentences with wherefore, we would to God that we could persuade all men not to rebel against God. That's a weird way of putting it. To provoke him to anger, but that all men would believe in Christ and view his death and suffer his cross. I don't want to suffer his cross and bear the shame of the world, semicolon, wherefore, I, Jacob, take it upon me to fulfill the commandment of my brother Nephi. I do have one thing to say about verse 8. View his death and suffer his cross. Now, do you remember what time period that this is being written in? Ah, that's right. We covered this a while ago, isn't it? They didn't have crosses yet. Historians think crucifixion was invented by the Persians, and it was not invented until sometime between 400 and 300 BC. So the whole idea of a cross didn't even exist. The other thing that's really weird about all of this, they're just talking about Christ like we should know about him. He doesn't really ever explain what a Christ is, mm-hmm. which is weird. They didn't do that in the Old Testament. There's no Christ there. All right, let's get to Nephi dying here. I can't wait for Nephi to die. It's really honestly not that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> he just dies. Oh, he, he just dies quickly. I can't remember. Now, Nephi began to be old and he saw that he must soon die. Thank fuck for that, huh? I bet prose from his descendants doesn't become any more concise, so. Wherefore, he anointed a man to be a king and a ruler. Oh, do we have to keep crowning kings? Come on, humans, do better over his people now, according to the reigns of the kings. According to the reigns of the... What does that mean? Ooh, I want to find out who this king is going to be. Is it my turn? Is it my turn? Take it away, JJ. Okay. The people, having loved Nephi exceedingly, he having been a great protector for them, having wielded the sword of Laban in their defense, and having labored in all his days for their welfare, verse 11, wherefore, the people were desirous to retain in remembrance of his name, and whoso should reign in in his stead were called by the people, second Nephi, third Nephi, and so forth. Oh, that's so dumb. So wait, they just keep naming people Nephi, according to the reigns of the king, semicolon. And thus they were called by the people, comma, let them be of whatever name they would. And it came to pass that Nephi died. Yeah. Hang on a ticket. Let them be of whatever name they would. But he's saying, no, you're going to call them first, second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth Nephi. Yeah, they said whoever is going to reign in his stead is going to be Nephi, 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 because we liked him so much. And probably because Joseph Smith was like, I'm running out of names that sound kind of odd. I've done Nephi, Lehi. Like how many other rhyming names are there? Laban, Lemuel, Lemlin. Nephi, Lehi, Moroni. So why does he say then, let them be of whatever name they would? Don't like, English royalty. They like, do change names. Yeah. Na- yeah, they changed their names. But I right, don't. So. Maybe he means let alone whatever name they originally had. Right. I think he's just saying, no matter what their name is, we're going to call them Nephi. That's a weird way of putting it. But it's funny because if I recall correctly, the next king that is mentioned in the book is not a Nephi. It's a Benjamin, I think. King Benny. Take it away, Jones. Now the people which were not Lamanites were Nephites. Nevertheless, they were called Nephi. Nephites, Jacobites, Josephites, Zoramites, Lamanites, Lemuelites, and Ishmaelites. And Dickheadites. And fuckfights. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) 
What I always wonder is how many people came over with Lehigh? It wasn't that many. Were there like five Lamanites, four Nephites, seven Jacobite? I mean, well, and is he also saying like there's two people, there are Lamanites, then there's these Nephites and these other guys. Like they're all kind of the same, but then the Lamanites are separate. In verse 14, he says, but I, Jacob, shall not hereafter distinguish them by these things. Why the fuck did you tell us this? But I shall call them Lamanites that seek to destroy the people of Nephi. And those who are friendly to Nephi, I shall call Nephites, or the people of Nephi, according to the reign of the kings. He just simplifies everything then in his own mind. You got good versus evil. Uh, It's a classic story. Humans love to do that. They can't handle anything complicated. Well, and I think Joseph Smith was like, okay, it's too hard to remember them all, so let's just kind of group them into the good guys and the bad guys. He George Lucas did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But George Lucas based his entire mythology on Joseph Campbell's uh, (gasps) Path of the Hero. Definitely. The Hero of a Thousand Faces. Exactly. And and the Path of the Hero. The Hero's Journey. Oh, what's that about? Oh, I can tell you. I can tell you. Tell us all about it, JJ. Every human should know this. If you recall, patients, I think I told you a little bit about him when I was telling you how the tarot cards work. The idea of the hero monomyth. There is only one story and it can be told a million different ways, but there's only one story and it's the human story. You are born. You have parents. You have teachers. You will go out into the world and you will meet friends, foes, and enemies, adventures and failures. And at certain point, you will gain some knowledge or some trophy that you will take back to your people and help them. So the idea of Jesus Christ, Harry Potter, what is the guy from Star Wars? Luke Skywalker. They all all follow the same pattern of a hero is born. Uh, They are special and they are born of unusual circumstances and they have special powers. Just like every human that's born is unique. You are unique and special just like everyone else. (laughs) And Joseph Campbell, he studied different mythologies throughout the world. And after he realized they were all telling the same story. There's certain steps that the hero takes. They've been called to adventure, called to their mission. Yes, and then they deny it. Like Luke Skywalker is like, I don't want to go. You know, you're not my father. I don't want to have anything to do with the bad guy. But then, you know, he's forced into a position where he has to take up arms. Right, yeah. And he meets his mentor, who is generally an old man. Yes, Obi-Wan Kenobi. If you're Jesus Christ, then you meet John the Baptist. If you're Harry Potter, you meet Hagrid. The problem, though, is Joseph Smith didn't do a very good job of following the rules of how to write a good story. If you want to write a good story, you stick to the hero monomyth. You know, you stick to that pattern. <laughs> Joseph Smith did not do this. He didn't understand the rules of how to write a good story. He made it better, Gigi. <laughs> you have to admit, he created an entire cult that is now worth billions of dollars. So I don't know, he did something either really, really right or really, really evil. And now it came to pass that the people of Nephi, under the reign of the second king, began to grow hard in their hearts and indulge themselves somewhat in the wicked practices such as like unto David. God, that's a... Such as like unto. (laughs) Such as like uh, unto David. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Such as like unto David of old, desiring many wives and concubines and also Solomon, his son. Okay. I find this incredibly interesting because here he is criticizing people growing hard in their hearts just to make sure we understand where they're getting hard because they want to indulge themselves in somewhat 
wicked practices. And what are those wicked practices other than having many wives? But isn't that exactly what Joseph Smith is like eventually all for? Mm-hmm. He was already toying with it by this point. It's very interesting that he's coming down on that there. But also in verse 16, he says, Yea, and they also began to search much gold and silver and began to be lifted up somewhat in pride. What did Joseph Smith do before he came up with the whole Book of Mormon bullshit? Treasure hunter. <laughs> Treasure hunter. Treasure hunter. That's what he did. Yeah. So here he is in verse 15 and 16, shitting on it. So let's look at it one way. If this was actual words of a prophet, what Joseph Smith got out of this was not, hey, this is bad stuff, but hey, I should do this shit. Or <laughs> Joseph Smith is saying, hey, this is bad. Don't mind that I'm doing it, but don't do it. But you know, I'm going to do it, but you don't do it. Oh, wait, no, you can do it. It doesn't make a goddamn sense. It sounds like it's a story inspired by the life of the author, huh? Mm-hmm, basically. <laughs> All right, and then let's see, verse 17. Wherefore I, Jacob, gave unto them these words as I taught them in the temple. Oh, did they build a temple, did they? Yeah, they built a temple. That was one of the first things they did. Oh, I don't think we've encountered that yet. The archaeological remnants of which have yet to be found. Of course. Unless you're going to decide to take all of the Incan archaeological. Those pyramids. Here, let me ask you something, Jones, because this is interesting talking to another Mormon. When you were younger, you were taught, weren't you, that all of the archaeological findings in South America must be related. Were you told that too? Yeah, I mean, it still continues to this day. Like my parents, about eight years ago, went on a cruise uh, and they went down to Cancun and they saw the ruins of Tulum and they're like, (laughs) that's an ancient pyramid. It must have been Nephi's like temple. There are locals that take Mormons on Mormon tours and say, okay, you see this? Well, this actually means- I believe it. Tell them what they want to hear. (laughs) Shoehorn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And get paid for it. Which I find fascinating that given the fact that, you know, DNA evidence, is like a thing now, all of those claims have been completely undermined by factual evidence. Uh Right, yeah. But it used to be that when Joseph Smith was writing this stuff, they thought that it was all of the mounds around them in eastern United States. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, but now they know that they're just mounds. They're like indigenous burial sites that have been part of an ancient culture, pre-existed Joseph Smith by millennia. (laughs) You're like, go talk to the people that actually belong to that land and they'll tell you what they're for. Oh, wait. No, you drove them all off their land and you killed them so you can't ask them. Yeah. Oh, bummer, dude. That's crazy, isn't it? It's like you're saying these people are your people but then they treated them so badly. I mean, it was in keeping with the colonial attitude. Just remember, we were so good at cultural appropriation back then. Oh, yeah. Not only cultural appropriation but they came in and they saw all these mounds and these incredible engineering feats and they were like, oh, well, these savages couldn't have done this so these must be the people that wiped out the people who were the good ones. People from Israel that must have come over in a really <laughs> funky boat. Right. I like, mean, that was not even an original Joseph idea. That idea had been kicking around all over the place. I mean, you look at the book, A View of the Hebrews, which talks basically the same thing. Oh, I didn't realize that makes sense where he got the idea. Yeah, he did not come up with this idea. It's just that as Mormons, we aren't told about all the other people who are saying basically the same thing. Right. We think that this was the first. You know what we should do? In the bonus episodes, we should just read a view of the Hebrews. I've heard it's almost as dry as this one. (laughs) Which predated this, though. Yeah, it did. It did, if I recall correctly. Yeah. (laughs) 
And it's it's also too long too, so. Oh, well, see how we go. As I taught them in the temple, karma, having firstly obtained mine errand from the Lord. Verse 18. For I, Jacob, and my brother Joseph... He has a brother, Joe. Oh, I think we've met him before, haven't we? Yeah, Jacob and Joseph were born of Sariah in the wilderness before they got on the boats and came over to America. So Jacob and Joseph were the youngest brothers. But seriously, they must be getting pretty old now too, right? Oh, you mean Jacob and Joseph? Yeah, they're, they're pretty old. Yeah, I guess it's possible there could be 20 years difference or something, 30 maybe. Sure. I have a younger sister who's 11 years younger than me. So, I mean, not quite as much, but, you know. For I, Jacob, and my brother Joseph had been consecrated priests and teachers of this people by the hand of Nephi. Okay. And we did magnify our office unto the Lord, taking upon us the responsibility, answering the sins of the people upon our own heads. What? If we did not teach them the word of God with all diligence, semen colon, wherefore, by laboring with our mites, their blood might not come upon our garments. Well, you don't want them to come upon your garments. Mm. I mean, I don't think they had very good cleaning detergent back then. No. Oh, It's just a mess. You never get that shit out. Otherwise, their blood would come upon our garments, he says it again, and we would not be found spotless at the last day. You know what? I find that whole last verse really, really strange. Well, what he's saying is we have to warn them because if we don't warn them, then it'll be our fault. Uh, We have to teach these people how to be good. They want too many wives. They're getting too prideful. They're digging up too much gold. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, what he's saying is, and this is a very Mormon message. If we don't work and keep working and try as hard as we can and keep trying and teach and teach and teach. That's a great point, Jones. If we do this, then it won't be our fault that they fuck up. But if we don't keep working our butt up, then their fuck up is going to be our fault. It plays into the missionary drive Mm -hmm. of the church. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of churches that don't proselytize like the Mormons. You know, like I don't have Catholics knocking on my door asking to like convert me, but the Mormons don't have a problem doing that at all. Because I guess they think that it's their job out there to like save the planet. Yeah, they take the Great Commission very seriously. Different Christian sects, they all take the Great Commission with varying degrees of seriousness. (laughs) Yep. It's like, shouldn't it all just be the one degree that Jesus gave us? But no. So you have to remember that there's the factor of time. So the Catholic Church, they've got a whole lot more time on Joseph Smith because remember, they had the whole Spanish Inquisition. They had all kinds of ways of converting you or beating you into conversion or just torturing you. Uh huh. They've been through it. They know it doesn't work. It's not good. But they That's did right. it early on. They got all those Catholics a long time ago and told them to breed a lot. Uh-huh. So it's like compound interest, okay? It's compound interest. You've had so many <laughs> generations of breeders creating more asses to sit in your pew. That's right. Breeders creating more breeders. The reason the Catholics don't knock on our doors is because they just don't need to really anymore because they have so many generations of wealth right. and humanity huh. bred into the system. Okay, the Mormons start Started late. They have to catch up. 
They got to go out and get new people because they just can't breed enough in to catch up with the Catholic Church and the other really rich churches. With the Mormons, they've already shifted over to the money portion of it. They're like the richest church ever. Yeah, they, they actually, I think, have done better than the Catholics at this point. Yes, they have. They took that American go get them and applied a 10% tax to it, mm. 10% tithe. And then told people to breed. Yep. And then invested that 10% in the stock market and made a fucking killing. Wow. And then made boys pay for your own missions. And that to me is an insult on injury. If you need a missionary, maybe the church should pay for that. But no, 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 no. They want you to pay for your own torture. <laughs> or like with your sister when they've told her not to. Yeah, not to go and get a job. Like, don't worry about college. Pop out all the kids. Mm-hmm. They should go, oh, well, we told you to do this. We should help you out. And instead they go, oh, well, have you behaved the full tithing? Oh, you can't afford to? Well, fuck you. We're not helping. Oh, they make you jump through so many hoops. In the beginning when some Somebody dies. They love bomb you. They're bringing you chicken salad every bomb. day. Oh, they've got people <laughs> dropping off food, everything. And that goes away. So what you're saying is Mormonism has borderline personality disorder. Oh, yes. One minute they're love bombing you. The next minute they're ignoring you. And then they want money. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. BPD right there. Yep. And then they're telling you what kind of clothes to wear and how many children to have. Oh. And then the minute you do what they say, they're like, I didn't tell you to do that. Oh, they split on you. <laughs> they split on you. <laughs> and then they're calling you all kinds of crazy days just to see if, hey, do you want to do a, a speech on Sunday? Can you clean out the church on Monday? Host a Bible study on Tuesday. We would clean <laughs> I was the uh, building Wednesday. rep for, uh, I think, two or three wards that I lived in. So I was the poor son of a bitch trying to beg people to come clean the church on Sunday. And inevitably, I was the poor son of a bitch who was doing it all by myself or with me and my wife and my three little kids. It was a pain in the ass because like, people would always come up with an excuse and yet somebody had to do it and if you were the person appointed like as a guy in charge yeah mm-hmm. I mean yep. the whole religion itself is one of those very high time consuming so if you think the Book of Mormon is bad like that's just the beginning no then they have you do all these other things that take up your life until you have no time to form an identity outside of that church and that's going back to what we're talking about here in verse 19 is that you have to keep trying and work until the end of your days you never reach a good enough space You've never put in enough work. You always have to keep working because if you don't, then anything bad happens is your fault. And that on top of the underwear and the yeast infections and the UTIs? (laughs) Give me a goddamn break. (laughs) That's right. Mormonism, don't do it. Any final words? Mm, I'm glad we're done with that chapter. So am I. I have three words exactly. Shit, fuck, ding dong. Oh, shit, fuck, ding shit dong. Fuck, exactly. Ding dong. Thank you so much for joining us today, Gigi and Jones. Looking forward to the race where I'll see you both again. And to all of you out there, uh, go and enjoy your life. All right, see ya.